Good morning. And welcome here to all of it, United Methodist Church in a wonderful Robbinsdale. You're celebrating Whizbang days these last few days here. If you've been up and about in Robbinsdale, you'll know a little more activity. In our bulletins this morning, we've been really blessed at the University Hospital in our family to have a number of Christian doctors and Christian nurses that are ministering to Hope. As many of you realize, Hope is on her second um, bone marrow transplant, and they they got that transplant from Germany, and it was supposed to be about a 100% match. Everything is going well. She's like in her third week of isolation. And thank you for your prayers. The order of service that they had for Hope, the nurses and the doctors gave her a blessing for Hope on the occasion of Hope's um, stem cell transplant. So we just are really blessed. Praise the Lord for the things that are going on in your lives by way of television. Many of you have called and inquired and um, wrote us letters. We appreciate those letters of support to our church here, a struggling congregation. Just last week, just last week, I got a call from my lay leader from my um, former church in, in Staples, Minnesota. And when I left Staples, they had a congregation of like, almost 200, and um, he said that his wife was the only person in church that particular Sunday. You know, churches are really experiencing a decline in worship, and so not only pray for the United Methodist Church, but pray for churches in your neighborhood. We have a number of individuals that listen to our telecast and our broadcast by way of radio and television and um, YouTube and that that go to other denominations and those churches are really struggling. We found that um, even in the, the prospering churches and prospering churches, um, there's only about 25 to 30% of congregants that have returned to worship there. You know, some of them I feel may have got out of the habit, you know, a, a good habit of, of coming back to church. And we thank God for the ability of all of it to transfer by way of television and radio and we just appreciate the support not only financial support but prayer support many of you are reliant upon our telecast by way of television and radio um, for your spiritual growth and we just really praise the lord for those of you who have an opportunity to come an hour early at 9 45 to 10 45 we have bible study i'm wonderful Time of Bible study and then our worship service that begins and we praise and last Sunday I mentioned a little bit about Presbyterian Westminster that meets on downtown and just really struggling to and many other denominations not only um, Protestant but Catholic congregations so pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ and pray for those who are faithfully to continue to serve and kind of carry the load so that you, by way of television and radio, are, are blessed to hear our telecast. This morning, we will bless you with, I trust to bless you, uh, give you a little report on the United Methodist Church and what's transpiring there. A lot of the fake news, you know, if you're listening to some fake news, you know, they're, they're kind of putting down a lot of the religious 
broadcasting and religious churches and that, but if you're listening to some really born-again, spirit-filled telecast, you're realizing, you know, that, you know, God is still on the move, and I'm talking about what's going on in the United Methodist Church. Many of you have asked me and stopped me around town and, and Brooklyn Park, where I live, and Robbinsdale, and under the understanding about about the church, you know, we're going through some difficult times because of not only economic inflationary times, but theological times. And we're trying to remain faithful to the Bible. We believe that Christ transforms society, transforms lives. We believe in a not a world vision or a world culture, but a, a Christian culture that Christ has come to transform lives and transform culture. And I'm going to be talking about that and and I'm hoping that you're kind of following along on news media, current news media, you know, oftentimes talks about things that are going on. So you need to kind of be in touch with Christian broadcasting radio stations. 900 AM is excellent. 980 is great. 1280. And certainly our telecast. I don't like to get into politics or what's going on particularly, but when it deals with our denomination, I think we really need to be on top of things. So this morning, as we start, we, we start with a belief and a premise that we have a fellowship, we have a joy divine, and that's Jesus Christ. So if you would stand with me and turn with me to our opening hymn, what a fellowship, what a joy divine, Red Hymnals, number 417.
Thank you. You may be seated. And let us turn to our hymn of surrender, All to Jesus I Surrender, Red Hymnals, number 371, 373, 373. So nice to have Mike and Tina back with us. And they traveled from three digits to two digits, right? Was it 100? Yeah, long walk, long walk. From 112 degrees near 90, right? Temperature. Wow. Amen. Well, welcome back.
and let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, this morning we want to give you the, the praise and the honor. Do your holy name. We come in praise and honor of the hymns that we've sung already this morning. We've got in a, a real worshipful attitude in singing holy ground because we're on really holy ground. And we, we pray, Father, that as you bless this church with so many years of service, it, we, we really believe in a future. And we know, as the hymn suggests, that thou art worthy of our honor and our glory and our, our praise. We thank you, Father, that you are a, a mighty counselor and comforter and consoler and almighty God and everlasting Father, and you are the Prince of Peace. And as a dear seeks the shelter of safety and security and food. We thank you, Father, for your sheltering and your care of us this past week. We pray for those who are joining us by way of television and radio and YouTube and Facebook. We thank you for those who reach out to us and show their support. We thank you for the financial support of many in our congregation that make this possible and our, the prayer support. We thank you, Lord, that as we move from our moments of fellowship and greeting, our peace and forgiveness, we come into the sanctuary with what a fellowship and what a joy divine. And then we move on to, to surrendering areas that do not exalt and honor and praise you. Help us, Father, to speak less and listen more. You provided us with a couple ears and one mouth, and we Pray, Father, that we would hear your still, small voice speak to us. We come, O oh Lord, thanking you for your bounty and your many blessings, the gifts of life, of our talents. And we offer you seeds in growth. You've granted us the roots of Christianity. And we realize that some will take root nearby and we will use them to grow and to bear fruit. Some will be carried far beyond where we can see and we have faith that they will find good soil and thrive. We thank you for the privilege of being called to sow. Bless with the joy of good fruit the seed we will see and the seed we will never see. We pray this in the loving name of Jesus, the gardener and savior. We thank you, O oh Lord, for the many prayers that have been offered for the requests of our daughter Hope, and, and we thank you for Joyce being with us and some of our senior members. We thank you for Janet, and we thank you, Father, for as we see the, the mighty move of God in our, our land and our, our country among those that are really born again spirit-filled. We thank you for the Smith family, and, and I miss those times of conversation, especially at the hospital and where Jay Samuel was and times in the corridor where he was concerned about the Methodist Church and not only in his homeland, Liberia, but throughout the world. And he had the roots of, of a father that was a missionary for the Methodist Church, and we thank you, Father, for the evangelical move in foreign countries for the accessibility 
as we look forward to 2022, just some six months, if we can just hang in there for some six months, six months to 12 months, and we, we need the General Conference's release of the trustees and the clauses of ownership of our, our land and our facilities as so much is going on in the protocol right now in utilization of the resources of publishing houses and seminaries and, and Methodist facilities. Lord, we pray, Father, that you would raise up godly men and women that would spend the time and do the research and, and acquire any divisions that may be occurring. We pray, Father, all this in your name as you taught us all to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As Mike comes this morning, you may want to turn with us in the scripture reading, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, 21 through 43. And there's going to be related scriptures that we're going to be sharing this morning because we're going to be talking about the United Methodist Church and as we deal with electionary and in God's word, God is gifting a, a real blessed restoration of life and a healing to a woman in our scripture. Now, when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around Jesus, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders, the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus, came, and when he saw him, he fell at Jesus' feet and begged Jesus repeatedly, My little daughter, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him, and a large crowd followed him and pressed in on Jesus. Now picture with me this occasion. God is using Jesus in a miraculous way. He's truly human, but he's also divine. And now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years, she had endured much under many phys physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus, and she came up behind Jesus in the crowd, and she touched Jesus' cloak. For she said, if I but touch, if I but touch Jesus' clothes, I will be made well. And immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from Jesus, Jesus turned about in the crowd and he says, Who touched? Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, Who touched me? He, he looked all around to see what had, who had done it, but the woman knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before Jesus and told Jesus the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your faith. 
Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And while he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion. People were weeping. They were weeping and they were wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed. They laughed at Jesus. Then Jesus put them all outside and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Jesus took her by the hand and he said to her, Tala Kalma, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this they were overcome with amazement and he strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Now Jesus had crossed the other side of Lake Galilee. The western side was Gentile, and the side he was going to, the eastern, was of course Jewish. After, while, after he arrived, an influential synagogue ruler named Jairus came to ask Jesus a favor. He boldly, remember this is a synagogue leader, he fell at Jesus' feet and asked him to heal his dying daughter. Along the way, so Jesus got up and they went to Jairus' house. Along the way, a woman that had been bleeding for 12 years snuck through the crowd and touched Jesus' hem. That healed her from 12 years of bleeding or hemorrhaging. No one noticed this except for Jesus. Jesus turned and asked aloud, who touched me? The woman that tried to sneak away again came up and said, ah, it was me. She fell at his feet. Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. This is not ascribing some magical power to faith. It is not her personal faith that healed her. It was her faith in Jesus, and most importantly, her touch to Jesus that healed her. Faith doesn't heal. But when we go to Jesus and we touch him spiritually, that is the only thing that will ever make that possible. As he was speaking, a servant from the, the house came up and said, Stop bothering Jesus. Your daughter is dead. Jesus looked at the ruler. He said, Do not fear. Only believe. They continued on to the house. When they came upon the scene at the house, it was absolutely terrible. People were publicly mourning in the house. There had been a gathering, and they were mourning. That means they were ripping their hair and tearing their clothes. It was a bad scene. Jesus stood amongst them and said, Don't worry. She's only sick. She's not dead. What are you doing? They laughed at him derisively. And we said, what? She's dead. And they laughed and they left. The people without faith left the house. 
Jesus took the mother and the father into the girl's room. He touched the girl's hair and told her, get up. When she stood, the five there were just stunned with amazement. He had something to tell them. He said, no, don't tell anybody about this. Go get her something to eat. So I wondered, why does Jesus tell people not to tell anybody? This isn't the first time he performed a miracle and said, I, I studied it and I, I think I, I figured it out. He told him not to tell anyone because to go out and tell people that he had disturbed a public religious funeral procession would anger them. That may have speeded up or sped up the time of his crucifixion. That wasn't in the plan. So he told them, don't tell anybody. For that reason, he did, that was the reason he downplayed that miracle. And initially in our passage said, don't worry, she's not dead, only sick. That was the first thing he told them. Thank you. Thank you, Mike, and welcome back again, Tina. I don't believe you were in the sanctuary when I welcomed you all back. Mentioned that the time while you were gone, um, Robin did an excellent job. She re received a lot of comments about comments on the Methodist Church. And if at any time you want to share a personal word, a kind of a lay statement, just let Mike know. Mike has been faithfully almost every Sunday covering, um, you know, a, a lay point of view from Scripture and that and his personal views on, on what's going on in the world and that. And we thank Mike um, and Tina for their faithfulness and stewardship in, in our church here. Our church is really struggling, not only um, all of it, but um, many churches. Um, it's, it's said that just in the next three to five years, um, one out of three churches will be going out of business. Um, throughout the land, there's hundreds. Throughout the United States, there's hundreds of churches that are um, closing their doors almost every week. It's not only true within the United Methodist Church, but it's um, Presbyterians, um, Lutherans, um, my own hometown, my own hometown, the Lutheran congregation there is served by two retired Lutheran ministers and there are four churches in Eagle Bend and Clarice and Briarville and Swan River. I don't know how um, even two retired ministers try to fill I guess there's always one church per Sunday or so that doesn't have coverage, but just to kind of keep that schedule straight in your mind is, I think, not only difficult for the clergy, but for the congregations and that. Catholic churches, a number of Catholic churches around um, Todd County have closed because they were being served by um, one priest in two or three Catholic churches, but now there's such a tremendous shortage of Catholic priest. Even within the denomination of the United Methodist Church for the last few years, we've had up to 12 to 16 retired ministers each year, and only two or three going in the ministry or that are kind of fully qualified to become ordained United Methodist. This last year, there are like 16, I believe, that retired and only two that were ordained. So, you know, it's not only congregations that were in need, but there's pulpits also. 
And we ask ourselves, you know, it's not only COVID just this past year, but we'll hold a, a general, a general conference in 2022. Can the churches make it through the next six to 12 months? And many churches are saying, we don't want to wait that long. We want um, to leave the United Methodist Church. We want to go into what they call the GMC, the Global Methodist Church, which is almost the same thing as the Wesleyan, Wesleyan Covenant Church, Wesleyan Covenant Church, and they believe much in Wesleyan theology. And what's happening in the next six months, just to kind of, and I'll be elaborating on that, is the various trust clauses, is that um, if we can hang in there for six to 12 months, you know, depending on the COVID virus and everything, the assets will go back to um, the local church, the local church, and then they will decide on whether they want to become a global Methodist church or a Wesleyan. Um, it would be kind of a sub underneath the um, global Methodist church, uh, Wesleyan covenant church, or become whatever denomination. I ask you this morning, will we hold, um, when and will we hold general conference in 2022? It doesn't seem possible, it's just a few months away. And that's the question many people are asking. And the simple, simple answer is that we must. We must, and we can, we can. A few of us that are currently United Methodist ministers are, are kind of on the, um, top edge of this and our understanding is as we're working with the attorneys and some of the um, United Methodist ministers that are kind of a breaking away, breaking away from the Methodist Church. We realize that this year is the most, this past year has seen the um, most progressive. Now, whenever I use the word progressive, that's the um, church that's trying to branch out from the United Methodist Church to become more liberal. This year, the most vocal progressive church in the annual conference in Texas, the Texas annual conference requested and was granted disaffiliation, disaffiliation, and it will join the United Church of Christ. Now, I went to a United Church of Christ seminary, United Theological Seminary in New Brighton, which was affiliated with the UCC Church, and I knew a lot of the doctrines and constitution of the United Methodist Church, and and I see one of the the Smith boys is with us. Would you, before I kind of get into the meat of my message, would you like, would you feel comfortable just standing where you're at and just kind of share a little bit where life's easy? I man, I. I thought, man, that guy's a bodybuilder or something. Look at, now don't, don't attack that pew when you stand up. Would you come up here to the microphone? Our techies up there are going to not only chew you out after the, the message, but they're going to chew me out because we don't, we don't get this by way of television. And we want to make sure that we get this hot and live. If you're th thoroughly confused by now, you can certainly use my pulpit, too. Uh, 
first introduce yourself by way of television to thousands of people that are wondering who you are. Thousands of people. Good morning, everyone. Um, my name is D. Franklin Smith. Uh, I'm, well, all of you know me. I shouldn't say most of you. I know all of you. Um, but over the last couple of years, as you all know, I graduated two years ago um, from Dickinson State University. And then since then, um, a couple months after graduation, I started working for a software company called Eldermark. Um, and that's where I still work till this day. So I'm a software specialist there. And what Eldermark is, is uh, we develop electronic health records for actually a lot of senior housing and assisted living. So it's a great way for me to give back and then also still stay in tech because that's where I wanted to be. So that's what I, I do till, till this day. And um, also still out in North Dakota um, with my wife, Matlin. We got married last September in the midst of COVID. Um, so that was very interesting, but we made it happen. It was, wasn't as we, we planned, but God's plan is always different. So yeah, that's, that's what's new uh, for me. And thank you. You. Anybody have any questions? <laughs> <That's a> great... <laughs> no, it's definitely great to see you all. Uh, it's it's a, a struggle to get home, so when I do, I definitely try to see as many family and friends as I can. So it's great to see you all. Welcome back, and you'll be, next time you're in the pulpit, plan on expanding those two minutes to about ten minutes, okay? I like to see mom and sister's big smile, because I know dad is in heaven just applauding yawn. Let's give him a round of applause. Amen. You know, last year, as I was mentioning, the, the second largest, the second largest congregation in in our in a conference left, and it's a traditional church, a traditional church that, um, with pre-COVID weekly worship attendance was at 3,000, 3,000, and I I guess I left off with the United Methodist Church in Texas that chose to de-affiliate with United Methodist Church, and they became a United Church of Christ denomination that that has absolutely no ties with the Wesleyan heritage. And outside, we are seeing similar exoduses. The largest progressive church in the country, Glide, G-L-I-D-E, Memorial in San Francisco, disaffiliated from the United Methodist Church earlier this year. The famed Asbury, Asbury, Memorial Church in Savannah, Savannah, Georgia, left in 2020 explicitly because of United Methodist stance on marriage and sexuality. Three smaller progressive churches in Maine are in the process of leaving the New England Conference. United Methodist News Service reports that 51, this was a number of weeks ago or months ago, 
the United Methodist News Service, and if you Google that and you go on and you find much about the United Methodist Church, but the United Methodist News Service reports that 51, 51 congregants and congregations, congregations disaffiliated from the United Methodist Church, and that was 2020. That was 2020. Two traditionalist, conservative, evangelical, Midwestern megachurches have also disaffiliated Granger. Granger, I read a lot of Granger's material, and I, I'm on their mailing list. I worshiped with them. Granger Community Church in Indiana, with a weekly worship attendance of nearly 4,000, 4,000, and a multi-campus church, Christ Church in Illinois, with a weekly attendance of well over 2,000, have both departed from what we know as the United Methodist Church currently. Now, the longer we wait, the longer that we wait to resolve our differences, the more opportunity there will be for mistreatment, mistreatment of congregations, real or imagined. The largest church in Georgia, Mount Bethel in Marietta, has announced its intention to leave because its senior minister, senior pastor, was to be removed without the church, without the church or the pastor being even consulted. They're moving conservative evangelical ministers away from the church that, that currently have um, no debt. And it's kind of interesting because um, no debt, oh, they're kind of walking into a situation where um, the church is debt-free and they don't have to worry about any liabilities. We are told that some persons are leaving UM churches or not joining because they cannot be associated with a denomination that does harm to the LGBTQ plus, and plus for many of you is any form of sexuality. And every week of our news receives notice from longtime Methodists that they are leaving the denomination because they can no longer sit under the ministry of a pastor or a bishop they believe is preaching a gospel that is contrary to what God has revealed in Scripture. Many of you realize that an outstanding so-called bishop in California conference, and that's a big conference, has come out of the closet. I don't think I need to reference what that means. And every week our news receives notice about declining churches and where members are leaving. Some of the existing churches are uniting with other Wesleyan denominations. Some are not. Most of our members who are leaving are, are joining Baptist or, or other non-denominational churches. Now, whether we are progressive or centrist or traditionalist, and keep those in mind because you'll be hearing about not only the progressives, I've spoken about that many times, and centrist, kind of middle of the road, or, or traditionalist, which more members from the former EUV, EUV Church, Evangelical United Brethren EUB, which I grew up in, and this church has its roots in, we all believe that there's something very special, very special about our Wesleyan witness that, that prioritizes God's grace, 
and emphasizes God's call to holiness of heart and God's holiness of living and God's holiness of life. And the longer we wait to hold general conference and um, adopt the protocol, and I've mentioned that last week and a few weeks before, the protocol of reconciliation and grace through separation, that as this whole process, and I've seen this document being bounced around for the last 50 years, because that's how the division in the United Methodist Church has been. It's more recently and in countries outside the United States, but that protocol of reconciliation and grace through separation, the more churches and members we will lose to the Wesleyan way and, and the, weaker, the weaker our witness will be. You must, we must end our divisions, our threats and our fights, and we must move on. And that means that general conference, which should have occurred here a year ago or so in Minneapolis, general conference, it was an honor to be able to have the, the world conference held in Minneapolis. That means that general conference must meet, must meet in 2022. But can we? You may be asking if you're a discerner of time. We are working with others to try to ensure that visas will be available to get delegates and to others. But what if, I'm always aware of the what ifs. I, my roommate at seminary was an honor student from graduate of Hamlin University Law School and he moved from law school into ministry and and we would talk about legal matters frequently. But what if, the what if, despite all of our efforts, the international travel is still impossible and in-person general conference cannot take place with all our international delegates present. Then I believe a, a virtual or a hybrid a hybrid general conference can and should be held. And you may ask, is that, is that really doable? Of course it is. Of course it is. It is true in corporations like Target and Walmart and various other conglomerates. They hold meetings with hundreds of their employees in scores of different countries every day. They have found the required technology to, to hold such meetings. And the reason these companies did not decide that virtual meetings are too difficult to pull off, I believe is simple. It's very simple. They want to make money. The desire for greater profits has been sufficient for corporations to find or, or develop the technology required to conduct very detailed multi-multi-international um, um, meetings. And if we do not do the same, it will only be because the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is not as important to United Methodists as making money as to the corporate, corporate world, America. Nearly every capital city in the world if you've traveled, not only within the United States, but abroad, 
Nearly every capital city in the world has a hotel near its major airport with sufficient technology for delegates to connect um, securely with the general conference. Delegates could stay in these motels at no greater cost to the church than the hotels in Minneapolis. And whatever additional technology costs may be required, will there be more than an enough to offset by the savings of not having to pay for air travel, air travel to the United States from all these other countries in the world. Now some of us, some of us who've gone to our annual conferences regularly each and every year for some 50 years, some of us have been calling for a separation since 2001. It has taken others of us longer to reach the same conclusion, but, but the vast majority of our representatives were prepared to vote on the protocol in 2020. We gave the Commission on General Conference the benefit of the doubt when General Conference 2020 was postponed. And we understood their concern that equal access to technology and full participation at the conference might not be possible for all delegates. But it is now time for the commission, the commission to be understanding of us. The church is hurting. The church is hurting. We're losing congregations and we're losing members in our Wesleyan witness is being weakened. We need the protocol to be passed. We need to adopt it no later than 2020. It can be done. It can be done and it must be done. Now one of the hardest seasons in, in life, and I know many of you can agree with this, one of the hardest seasons in life is awaiting is the waiting game. If you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, one of the hardest seasons in life is awaiting the birth. Birth of a baby. Could be your own children, your grandchildren. I've done it three times with Joy, Hope, and Christian, and four times with grandchildren. And I like to be right in there. And the nurses have told me that, that my title has always been coach, coach. Congregations that we've served, we've always had physicians in our congregation, Dr. Hendrickson and Dr. Sarah Israelson and delivered a lot of our children. And I think that the title of coach, that was to make me feel good about my presence in the room. Because I don't think that my wife appreciated or needed my coaching especially when I very discreetly was moving about with a video camera trying to get that first voice of the birth of our children. Labor. Labor and delivery do not always go by the book. There can be unexpected delays, change in circumstances, moments of uncertainty, but but eventually, one way or another, the moment arrives and the baby is born. 
And all the hard work and all the pain suddenly seems to evaporate as this new life comes into the world. And then you hold. You hold that flesh and you hold that blood. And knowing that, that it is a gift, that it's a gift of God, that it's a gift of God. The waiting part is filled with frustration, anxiety, and a desire to make things happen. But the birth is filled with that joy and that hope, that victory and, and, and a new vision. And the psalmist declares, weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Psalm 30, verse 5. Now the psalmist continues, You have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy, that I may sing praises to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give you thanks forever. Psalm 30, verses 11 through 12. You and I are awaiting a birth. The name has already been revealed, the Global Methodist Church, the GMC, underneath that umbrella of the Wesleyan Covenant Church. We know, we do know a lot about the church. We eagerly await the moment of birth when it's legally formed and when it begins to operate, but we're not there yet. And that's so frustrating and that's so discouraging and more than a few of us are impatient. Some want to force the issue. Deliver that baby. After all, we've been waiting for this delivery for months, even years. The Hebrews waited 400 years for deliverance from the servitude that they experienced in Egypt. They wandered 40 years in the wilderness before they could cross the Jordan River to the Promised Land. And God led his people in exile for 70 years before they were permitted to return homeland to Israel. Our wait has been long, but compared to those biblical delays, well, maybe not so long. Still, I'm tired of waiting. I'm, I'm anxious. I'm impatient. I get anxious. I'm discouraged at times, but I have learn that God, God does amazing timing and God does amazing work when we're waiting, if we trust God and allow God to work. If delivery had occurred sooner, would we have been, would we have been ready? Now, when the, when the baby comes, when the baby comes, you can't say it's not a convenient time. You have to be ready. You have to be ready to move. And if there is one thing that I have learned in my lifetime, it's to trust the timing, the timing of God. I have seen over and over again that God's timing is perfect. God's ways are mysterious. Don't always understand them. But in retrospect, I always see that God's hand and God's wisdom. And I want to thank I want to thank those by way of television, those by way of radio and Facebook, Annette, who contacted me and encouraged this word this morning. I want to thank all the people all around the world who have worked to prepare for the launch 
of the Global Methodist Church. All of these persons who have served on the Global Council of the Wesleyan Council and the Wesleyan Covenant Association and delegates to our Global Legislative Assemblies. So many people have, have served as officers and have given up their time and their evenings going to work 40 to 60 hours a week and then coming home and working hour after hour at home and listening to these teleconferences. I want to thank those officers and board members of our regional chapters, intercessors and partners in ministry that have joined in this journey. The members of this transitional, this transitional leadership council have met weekly for more than a year preparing to usher this new baby into the world. And so many have given generously of their time and their, their resources and their prayers and their research to sustain the word and the work. And the purpose, the purpose of the protocol of reconciliation and grace through separation is to demonstrate to the world that we Methodist, that we Methodist, despite our significant conflict, could love one another as we part our ways, blessing one another in our separation. God sent us a Jewish lawyer to find the way. And unfortunately, recent events in various annual conferences have undercut the environmental, the environmental created by the protocol. And I urge I urge persons of goodwill in continuing to pursue the goals and, and the, objectives, the objectives embodied in, in, in this protocol. Our stepping out, our stepping out into a new day is, is not dependent on the adoption of this protocol, but it's the best way for most churches to advance. Father, this morning, as we view scripture, Jesus encountered death and resurrection. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and life. Father, amidst the chaos and the confusion and the conflict in our world today with politics and religion, as you part the seas from what's going on, as you give the expertise and the wisdom to godly leaders, we pray, Father, that you would lead us into the future. Help us not to be anchors, boat anchors, but help us know when to lift the anchors and when to start rolling, when to move. Give us that discernment and that wisdom to utilize all the resources possible to build a church that you wanted to build with every head bowed and every eye closed and those by way of television and radio and YouTube and all means of communication. May you pray in your hearts this prayer by repeating after me, dear Jesus, show me the way, the truth, and the life. In Jesus' name, amen. We need to be connected in faith to the living Lord and Savior. We thank you for your financial and your prayer gifts. And let us turn as we 
prepare to take up the offering this morning, if you turn to your bulletins and offer the offertory prayer with me. Generous and giving God, you have poured your blessings on us as the man rain soaks the sun porch grass on our lawns. You have lavished us with redemption, forgiveness, and grace. When you send the rain to water the grass, you expected growth in return. Remind us this day, as we make our gifts to you, that we have been blessed for a purpose, that we might be a blessing to others. May we grow in compassion, in mercy, in longing for justice and love. As Christ loved us, in that holy name we pray, amen. When peace like a river attendeth, would you turn with me in your red hymnals as the offering is taken. When peace like a river attendeth, red hymnals number 401, please.
Would you stand, please? Almighty and everlasting God, as we brought our gifts and lay them at your altar, we remember the crowds in Jerusalem who laid their cloaks on the road, shouting Hosanna as Jesus passed. We know they were looking for a Messiah who was different from one who sent Jesus to be, not one of political power and military might, but one who came in compassion and mercy to heal, to love, and to save. Search our hearts as we go forth that we might be confident that the Messiah for whom we long is the one you know we need. Jesus the Christ, your anointed one, 